Hello, and welcome to On Record in Conversation. I'm Jess Collins from the Birmingham Music Archive. In this podcast series, recorded in front of a live studio audience, we explore the vibrant and diverse music history, heritage and culture of Birmingham through the stories of some of those who have shaped and continue to influence the city's musical landscape. In this episode, Satnam Rana talks to Sanity, with her distinctive blend of grime, hip-hop and jazz, alongside powerful messages and unconventional instrumentals, the award-winning Sanity is on the ascent. Satnam asks about her life and love of Birmingham and the themes of empowerment and self-examination that inspire her music. Hello, everyone. Everyone good? Really good to see all of you here this afternoon. I met Sanity way back when, in 2017. I think it was, you know, it's crazy. And I remember bringing Sanity to the Symphony Hall. It was for a BBC report, wasn't it? Yeah, I was literally talking to someone about that, like, I think this morning, which is mad. It just feels like at every kind of, like, vital stop in my career, I just end up, like, doing something with Satnam, which is great. (laughs) I so feel like a sort of almost a maternal character in Sanity's life. I do seem to pop up in key milestone moments. So when we met way back when in 2017, Santi was literally sort of bedroom artist and um, brought her to the Symphony Hall. First time you'd stepped into the Symphony Hall? First time, yeah. Being in the actual hall, I'd, I'd done stuff, but I'd never, like, gotten past <laughs> the actual, like, doors to, to the massive, you know, actual stage. So it was cool. It was inspiring as well. So definitely sparked something. And I have watched you just grow and flourish from that day in. And I don't know who was more excited about the 2018 Commonwealth Games when you got the gig to go over to Australia. Because I remember seeing you down at the bull yeah. in the bull ring and I was like, that's amazing, I'm so excited for you. I mean, it's been massive the last few years for you, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think even when I think back to 2018 and all the stuff around it, it still feels like a dream. It was just... At the time, like, I was in between working at IKEA at the time. So I remember, like, I was popping out on my lunch break and... Like doing interviews with BBC and Satnam. I was like, oh, I'd say to my manager, I just got to pop out, like do an interview and come back. She's like, all right, cool. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. I'm going to go into that um, a little later on a bit more because actually today it's really about getting to know you. So I'm going to start from the beginning. Where were you born? In Birmingham, Dudley Road to be precise. I think my mum my can confirm, right? Why are you shrugging like you don't know? <laughs> do you not remember? <laughs> was it that long ago, Jesus? <laughs> Dudley Ray meaning City Hospital, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is that where you grew up around there or, or elsewhere? Uh, this is the thing. I kind of grew up in different locations. I've always been like based in Erdington, but I think it's the same with probably a lot of like black households or like, you know, in our kind of communities that even though that's where your home is, like you still, you know, you'll go to your cousins and you'll go to your aunties and this and the other. So my nan's house was like the base for the family and my nan lived in um, Newtown, so again, like I went to school, Lozelle's primary school. Um, I had family in Handsworth. I had family in Leechels. So I was just around Birmingham, but yeah. Like, but, but Birmingham runs through your blood and veins. Literally, yeah? literally, yeah. It, you know, when you went through, through the different areas, did you notice differences at all? I mean, obviously the commonalities, family and, you know, our families yeah. are united in a way that perhaps traditionally was the norm many years ago here in the UK, but not as much perhaps now. Probably subtle differences, but I think when I was little, I just wanted to be on my bike and just go see people. Because I was the youngest out of a lot of grandkids as well, so 
I was always the one that was either just training behind and trying to catch up like with my sister and that. So yeah, like I think one of the things that I noticed about when I was at my nan's in Newtown, it was kind of like an open house policy. So like you'd be at my nan's, but then like so-and-so two doors down and have their door open. You go knock for them and poke your head around like, oh, can I come out and play? Yeah, cool. And there was like a little culture sack in the middle where everybody would kind of play. So it was nice because it, it literally bred community and like, that's one of the things when I think back to my childhood, it isn't really there. Like in the 90s, it was a lot of like community was strong. And I don't know if it's just because people are a bit more closed and not as open anymore, a bit nervous about meeting people or like connecting with people. But yeah, that's one of the best things I think growing up and like being around Newtown, you could just connect with anyone. So did that make you then um, a certain type of child in terms of like, did that make you shy, a bit louder out there? I think I had a bit of a shyness about me to an extent. But like I said, because I had such a big family, it, it also allowed me to like push buttons a bit and probably venture out and do things that I wasn't really supposed to be doing sometimes. Like, <laughs> I've already played, I've already played. It wasn't that bad. Um, I remember one of the times like there was a park not far from my nan's house and my cousins, like my two older cousins, found like a, a backwards way to get to it. And I thought it was the coolest thing. So, like, it was running through, like, the alleyways around the back of houses, getting to this park. And I thought it was the biggest adventure ever. And I think just after lockdown, just for, like, nostalgia, I thought, let me stroll through this back way. And it was the shortest distance ever. It was, like, a 30-second walk. But back then, because everything was so much bigger, I was just like, wow, like, the wall was here. I was like, why did this, <laughs> why did this feel so much bigger and so much more wild back then? So, yeah. Because life through the prism of a young person is like one big playground, isn't it, really? Yeah, this is it. I was like, oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble. So did you enjoy that then? Were you a bit of an outdoorsy youngster? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was, I was just a typical kid. I liked, I was really into animation and like cartoons and things like Pokemon. I was just inside, like, I used to love drawing as well. So I used to watch shows and just sit down and draw. So music wasn't actually in my system I think until a little bit later I think my creativity was always there but it more channeled through art so I like to draw I like to sketch um my dad was really good at art so you know he'd always bring out like crayons and paints and me and my sister would like just try and do what he was doing did that form any sort of escapism from the big family I imagine it was probably fairly big and loud at times like (laughs) yeah probably to be fair yeah because I'd just be like I'd sketch anything that I saw on tv really so yeah, I think it was probably a bit of a getaway for me as well to just zone out and just do that and not have to, you know, fight for my cousins to try and, <laughs> to try and like change the channel. I was like, can I just get this picture and then you can have the TV? Clever. So. <laughs> Clever way of hogging the remote control without having to hog the remote control. Yeah, smart tech, smart tech. Really smart. We didn't have pause in it, so... <laughs> so, like, you know, a lot of musicians quite often talk about music coming quite early, but for you at that point... Was that the thing that got you ticking, I suppose? It was that and sports, actually. I was, re- I was quite into sports. I liked to play basketball. I was quite boisterous in that way, I guess. People kind of tie it to But I loved basketball. I loved football. My, like, dream, like, job when they asked me when I was there, I was like, I want to play for the WNBA. I was quite tall at that point. I think probably up till about eight, I got to this height. And then after that, I stopped growing. So, like, <laughs> for, like, an eight, nine-year-old, I was tall. And then, like, as the years progressed, I just didn't grow and everyone else did. So did you play basketball? I did. I played for... I played in primary school. And then when I got to secondary school, they didn't really have as many sports opportunities. So I kind of stopped playing. But then when I, went, when I went to university, I picked up basketball again. So 
We'll come on to school yeah. and education. So what did your family then make of it when you did start expressing an interest in music and music making? You know what, that's, that's one thing that I've always loved. My family have always been like such an encouraging family. Because no one was really musical either, which when I tell people, they're quite fascinated. All my friends that do music, they're like, oh, my mum was a like, vocalist in this group or my dad played keys or even like say they played in church or whatever. But like, my family wasn't musical <laughs> at all. I mean, you can, we can hold a note, can't we? Like a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Mum's shaking her head. At the family I'm barbecue, smiling. yeah, we can <laughs> sing along, I guess. So, but like in terms of like musicality, I don't really think anyone in my family did music. But I always associated music with my family just because it reminded me of those get-togethers. Obviously, I'm, I'm from, like, a Caribbean, like, background, so, like, sound system culture and, you know, family get-togethers and, and loud music was always there when it was a family get-together. So I think music played its part, but it was more like just sitting dormant in the background until yeah. I got to about 12, 13. And so by 12, 13, music's crept into your life and you, I guess you, you've opened that door and family are supportive, but we all know that the music industry is actually a tough one. So how do you balance your personal life right now with that musical career? Is it hard to balance that whole musical thing when you've got lots of um, different pulls in different directions? Yeah, I, def- I definitely think it is, um, because it's one of these things. I guess you could tie it to anything. I think it's just getting older and like you know, getting careers and hobbies and, and your own friendship groups and stuff and venturing out. I mean, I'm based in Brom, but I'm literally always everywhere. I'm in London a lot of the time now as well. But I think you just kind of have to learn how to balance it. Because I think one of the things with the industry as well and trying to make it, quote unquote, is that sometimes you're so focused on just being at events and networking and this, that and the other. And it's not until you get to family parties and start reconnecting with people. It's like, yo, I actually have like other things to talk about than just music, which is mad. It took, I think it took as well. Lockdown was important for me. Because it kind of put a lot into perspective. It slowed me down, but it gave me the space to really think and reconnect and just get to know like family and friends that I haven't really spoken to on a deeper level. Then, like, oh, how's music going? It's going good. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'll come and see your show. You know what I mean? Conversations was that brief because everybody's busy. So lockdown gave me that time to really just start reconnect and rethink and just yeah rekindle certain relationships with people too. So how do you, how have you changed then now? Then what do you do that's different to pre-lockdown? Um, I think I'm a lot better at, at like creating the space to know when I need a break. Before lockdown, I was very much like, I'll take a break when I get time, but then the time never came. So it was like I was either always traveling or performing or just like trying to create new music, but I didn't really take a break until I actually felt sick. And a lot of the time, you know, being a creative as well and just being so active, burnout is real. Like, and I'll just be like, well, you know, I'll rest for probably one day and try and get back at it. I'd be in bed, actually, still trying to write lyrics, like, with a croaky throat, trying to make things work. But, um, yeah, I think now I've got a good balance of, like, okay, if I'm working and I'm out all this day, then the next day, maybe just, you know, I can write a bit, but then tie it back in, Mm. like, go talk to my mum, watch a little TV with her, chop it up, talk to my nieces, like, catch up with them, see what's happening. So I think I've got a good balance now. Long may it continue. Did you, were you like that when you were at school then? Were you sort of like go, 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 go type student? I think with me, I just like to keep myself busy. And I don't know, I'm not into star signs and that, so I don't know if it's... If, what if star you sign are, are you? I'm an Aries. So, so am I. Really? High five, what day? 17th of April. 7th of April. What? We're absolutely bonkers. Oh we just my. don't stop until <laughs> the eyes literally have to like... I, I this is what I'm saying. Shut <laughs> So I don't know. I don't know if it is the, the Aries <laughs> thing then because I'm just like 
even when I'm like close my eyes to go to sleep sometimes, I'll literally be like, ah. Oh would this lyric actually sound better? And it's like 1am, but I best believe I'm going to get up and like either voice not. If I lost my phone, it would be so stressful because the amount of voice not I've got on my phone. Do you do that? Yeah, I'm like... We've never spoken about this. That's exactly what I do. Isn't that mad? Do I get a copy then? You have to get it out of your head, don't you, somehow? When you've got that creative buzz Because otherwise I'm not going to go to sleep. So at school then... You talked earlier on about you went to Lizelle's primary. Yeah. Um, so I take it you lived Lizelle's way when you were growing. Still in Erdington, you know. Yeah, but this is the thing. Because my mum worked in town, she had to drive that way anyway. And the Manan was literally located just behind my school. So my nan would pick me up. I'm, I'm super close with my grandparents because of that. They would always pick me up like after school. I'd stay there for like two hours. My mum would come pick me up. So I had a really close connection with my grandparents I, and then all my cousins would do the same so like I said my nan's house was like a meeting point everybody would come there after school so it was nice it was like my family have always been tight with Stella so, so nice. your nan's house was basically your after school club wasn't my it? my nan's house was a madness like it was, <laughs> obviously she's had to like she's, she's downscale now it's, she's living in a bungalow but before it's like a three story house and even then I remember doing some madness there like I remember one of my older cousins Dwayne I remember one day I see. look at me getting people in trouble <laughs> I remember one day, like, from the f- top floor, like I said, it was three stories, he, like, tied bedsheets together, threw over the banister, and, like, was just abseiling down the banisters. <laughs> and I thought it was the coolest thing. I was like, this is sick. I didn't get to do it, though. I think somebody came and, like, <laughs> and, and disconnected it by the time I got a chance. But I thought that was sick, so... Yeah, it was always up to something. <laughs> Grandparents' houses are like a Pandora's box, aren't they? I think it doesn't yeah. matter what size they are, but there's something special about a grandparent's house. Yeah, and she had that room as well. Like, Did she have a best room? Yes, <laughs> she had a best room. So that room, you wasn't really allowed in the room, but we'd go into the room. She'd have a vinyl plate in the corner. All my grandpa's like vinyls and stuff. And then she just had cabinets and cabinets of like little trinkets, I guess you can call them. We found some the other day, which actually, like, it was mad nostalgia for me. Like, there was a tiny little bicycle, and it could move. I just assumed it was mine to play with, but it wasn't. But the way that I always used to sneak into the glass cabinet, and, like, you know the sound it makes when it shuts? I used to be so careful to, like, close it back, get the bicycle and, like, play with it a bit and then put it back. But, yeah, we found it the other day, and she was letting all, like, the grandkids play with it. I was like, this, this couldn't run back in my day, Gran. What is going on? Loosen the rings. Times change, times change. I came and the, the bike was just on the table thrown down and my niece picked it up and my nan didn't say anything. I was like, hold on, what's going on here? So Lizelle's primary then because of grandma. And then what about secondary school? So secondary, I was a bit more local. I went to Stuckland Green, which is just up the road from me. And yeah, I think that's when I started to get more invested in music. I was so excited to go to secondary school just because I knew they had like music. Obviously, I was like, oh, cool, we get to use bunts and burners and stuff and set things on fire. It's dope. <laughs> We've been safety. But also, I was just excited about it. Yeah, like, things like music and drama and the additional stuff I didn't really get to do in primary school, so... So you, would, uh, you, know, you said earlier on that you were 12 when you sort of started getting into the, all the music. Did you formally start learning, then, a musical instrument in school? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it was a bit of a strange one for me because I, I wanted to get into music. At the time, one of my cousins, like, started living further away from Birmingham and any, like, six-week holidays she'd come and she'd show me different genres, so... Like, I grew up on a lot of R&B, hip-hop, uh, reggae. But then my cousin Shana, she'd come, and, like, during the six weeks holiday, she'd show me, like, rock and, like, indie music and stuff like that that I'd never really been exposed to. At first, I hated it. 
I was like, this just sounds loud. But then the more I listened to it, I started to like it. I started to like taking lyrics and lyrical content. And I just started to enjoy music more. So from there, because I was listening to that, I was like, I want to learn how to play guitar. And I remember, I think my sister had just got like a part-time job or something. And I remember we went into a shop and we saw like the cheapest like £10 nylon string guitar. I was like, oh, can I have that? And I must have been in her good books because she got me the £10 guitar. (laughs) She's a good end. And then, yeah, like from there, I was just kind of teaching myself like little things on what I could find on the internet. I was just about to ask you, I never quite understand how people teach themselves an instrument and then get to like, you know, your level of um, professionalism. YouTube is your best friend, honestly. Like I was just searching how to play this string. What is this string chord on guitar? Like literally everything. My search history probably was mad back then. (laughs) uh, It was just literally anything I could figure out. And then I started playing. I started trying to hear things out. I think one of like the most popular songs that I first kind of learned how to play, and my mum always takes the mic out of me, was Chris Brown with you. So I used to like play the little acoustic guitar part on that. <laughs> and like, I was like, oh, everyone sing along, trying to do like a little kumbaya moment in the family. But um, yeah, like from there, like I started to get better. So, you know, it was, it was working. And then in terms of performance, one of my first performances was probably at secondary school. I remember I came off holiday and my music teacher, bless him, he was a gem. Like he, he was great, but he definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone a lot of the time. So I remember I come off holidays and he was like, are you performing today in the school canteen in front of everyone? I was like, okay. He was like, yeah, you can, uh, had to actually rap a Rage Against the Machine song. I don't know if anybody knows Rage Against the Machine. Uh, but there was one song that I learned on guitar. He was like, yeah, I want you to perform this. I was like, okay, cool. And I did it and it went down really well. So um, I think every time I performed, it gave me that nudge of confidence. So it was stressful. And because I have, I don't know what it's called, but I have this thing where my hands just naturally shake. So even if I'm not nervous, like I, it's a condition, I can't remember what it's called, but my hands will just shake anyway. So my biggest fear was people are going to be looking at me and even if I'm not nervous, my mic's going to be like, but well, I'm chilling. But um, <laughs> I think, I think yeah, the older I got and the more practice I got, it kind of calmed down a bit. So did you then at any point get any lessons once you sort of got into yourself? Yeah, I think when I got to about year nine and I'd taken music as an option, that's when I got like a guitar too. And I probably saw him, I think it was only like 10, 15 minutes a week, but it was still dope. He'd set me up with work. And then from there, I kind of went and started practicing more. And yeah, from there, I went to sixth form, still did music. I don't play guitar as much anymore, but you know, the lessons and the teachings and the beginnings are still there. Was it just the guitar or did you pick up any other instruments along the way? Uh, it was mainly guitar, starting on acoustic, then I branched out onto electric because I wanted to start doing cooler stuff, then Chris Brown with you. Um, <laughs> I wanted to start playing solos. What are you saying about Chris Brown? <laughs> um, I wanted to be cooler than that. So yeah, I picked up electric and then like not too long ago, I started playing a bit of bass, but I actually prefer bass now. I don't know, like... If you've got me on Insta, you'll see me every now and again just post random clips of me playing bass just because it's just enjoyable, man. I don't know what it is. It's the groove, probably. It's whatever runs through your veins and makes yeah. you, um, gives you that tingle, I suppose, yeah, isn't it? it? But it's not just musical instruments and obviously music in terms of lyricism, etc. But it's also, for you, about music technology. So when you yeah. got to like that A-level stage, were you starting to study music technology? Yeah, so it actually started a little bit before that because, again, obviously we're playing guitar and picking music as like an option in, in secondary school. I started to like be interested in the actual recording. I started rapping then as well. And a lot of the times, like when people of that age said there was going studio, especially along like rap and grime genres, studio was just someone's bedroom, the mic in the corner, 
and like a laptop. And obviously it was, as music is, it's male dominated, isn't it? So me being like 13, 14, wanting to go to the studio and it's just some sweaty teenage boy's bedroom. My mum obviously was a bit like, where are you going? <laughs> so that couldn't run. So I was like, okay, wow, let me start picking up like the tools to kind of get stuff for myself. So like, I think one Christmas I was like, wrote a little note. I was like, mum, this is what I want. Like, you mean Santa, this is what I want, This is what I want, yeah, Santa. This is what I want for Christmas, can I get it? It was a microphone and, um, yeah, like an input door for my workstation that I could just start on the basics with. And I remember I got that for Christmas. I spent the whole day trying to figure out how to make it work. Slowly got there. And, yeah, I think when I was about 15 when that happened. And then I started to get better. And my friends from music class started to, like, come back record with me there's uh, one of my friends Haley, started singing and we kind of started posting youtube videos and that was the basics really do you know i had the huge privilege of going and seeing the setup and it was exactly that yeah. it was like literally in sanity's bedroom in the corner yeah. um, was it your dad who'd built it my dad, no, built, your dad it, yeah. built the sound booth type thing yeah and then it was all padded out with the microphone i remember and yeah. i was just like so you know when we say bedroom artists that paints a picture yeah. and it actually makes me smile there's not enough places for young people to create in at the end of the day. I know there's a few people doing, um, and organisations doing great things. Um, I know The Pump is one of them, doing great things for young people. But yeah, there needs to be more spaces because even when I was coming up, I think that was like the downfall of kind of community centres and musical stuff happening then. So I didn't even really have a place, which is why I had to revert to my bedroom. Uh, so definitely not, there's not enough spaces. And even what I'm hearing happening in schools now, like a lot of the arts are being undercut, which is really frustrating. Because, you know, if, if people even aren't even going to pick it as their career, it's still an outlet for young children. So I think that's super important. And I think hopefully with what's happened with the games, um, the council do see more of a need for more organisations, more spaces for young people to just create, come together, connect and yeah, just have a have a bigger and better like future for our music and creative industry. You've still got a studio space. <laughs> yeah, I've still I mean... got my little studio setup, you know, and it's just still nice to kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not exactly in that spot because I needed to branch out a bit. So I do. Which <laughs> <laughs> I needed to I need to needed to evolve a bit. But um, yeah, my dad hooked me up like, and because like I said, I've seen the sweaty boys' bedrooms, and I was like, now nah, I'm gonna have an actual booth. So, like, where the boiler used to be, he just padded it all out, and it was great. Like, I was like, look at my professional-looking studio. It was cool. But, obviously, you do go into studios. No, yeah, I have to. Mum lets you, yeah? Yeah, yeah, she lets me, she lets me. But that was another plus thing with, um, with lockdown as well, because I taught myself, obviously, I've been through the years of, like, I have an interest in music, let me venture out into different realms, how to record myself, how to, you know, just get the basics done. So when lockdown happened... I was still able to like continue with my career, record stuff, post content, film myself, edit it. So it worked in my favour. Like the things that I taught myself from 15 were still benefiting me years later just because I was just keen to just figure out how things operate. <laughs> the universe works in mysterious ways, doesn't it? So, you know, just before we went into lockdown, I mean, I can't even remember when we went into lockdown. Was it 2019, 2020? Where are 2020. we? 2020. 2020. So Ooh. a couple of years Jesus. leading up to that, we talked, we touched upon this when we started chatting about the Commonwealth Games. Kind of started before that. I think when we got awarded, given or whatever, when they said, yes, Birmingham, you can have it. Yeah. I remember 
there was a bit of publicity around that. Yeah. And then you got invited to go to Australia to be sort of our <laughs> key handover artist. Yeah. How did that happen? Tell me what happened. You know what's funny? To this day, I always say I had no idea. Because I think at the time, I was kind of just trying to network around Birmingham. I went to uni in Leicester. And that kind of built my confidence in terms of just talking to people. Because um, like I said, I was a shy person. So that kind of built my confidence in like performing, talking to people, doing open mics. So I was just going to events. A lot of the time just by myself and just talking to people, networking. My name was the court win and um, a lady called Shakela who worked at the Hippodrome just popped me off on like Facebook Messenger and was like, what are you doing between, I can't remember the dates, like the 10th of April to the 15th. And I was like, might be celebrating my birthday, but other than that, I don't know. She's like, okay, come to the Hippodrome, um, got a show that might interest you. So I was like, okay, cool. Again, working at Ikea, I was like, cool, can probably get in there before my shift. Uh, <laughs> so I popped to the Hippodrome and I just remember going in like a glass room and there's just plans with like Birmingham 2022 handover, like just all written on the wall. It looked like some mad scientist like plan, just like their paper just along the wall. And um, sat down and one of the first things they said to me was like, how do you feel about going to Australia to perform? I was like, yeah, sounds good. I was like, ah, oh, would you want to go? Would you want to bring like a band? Bear in mind, before this, me and my band only played once before, like three months ago. Like we'd done like a Christmas show that I put on. I was like, yeah, I've got a band. We can do it. It's fine. So then even having to message them, I was like, guys, all your passports in date. I was like, yeah, why? So like, oh, I got a gig for us. Where do, you, where do you think it would be? I was like, oh, well, we're going like Europe. I was like, nah, we're going to Australia. I was like, yeah. Everybody's like, yeah, I think we're free. We can fit into our diaries. So it was the most random thing. And like to this day, I don't know who hooked it up. I don't know if it's Shakela. I don't know if it's just the buzz that I created by just trying to push my name out there. But it just took me by surprise. because was, was epic. <laughs> it was epic. You've just told us that story. So that's like the outside story. Yeah. Inside. Can you tell me what you were thinking? <laughs> I don't think there's any words. <laughs> it's just like, I was so confused. Like, and the maddest thing was they gave me pretty much open reign as to like what I wanted to perform. It's like, have you got any songs that talk about like growth or Birmingham? And I had two songs in mind. And I think my sister came to the meeting with me again. Like I didn't have management or anything. I was just like, I want to try and look professional. So I was like, Sim, come with me. And uh, I was like, this is my sister slash manager. <sighs> like, let's try and crunch some numbers here, people. Let's be professional. So yeah, we went to the meeting, played them the two tracks, and I was like, yeah, both of these can work. And my um, track, Go The Distance, which I'd written like probably nine months before, the like the most, and ended up calling like the whole handover ceremony, Go The Distance, after the track. So in terms of like creativity and that, it was great, because it was just like, what tracks have you got? Are we like this track? Didn't it make me change anything about it? Let me bring my band over. So it was great, like, incredible opportunity. And that was happening there, and then you handed over to that brilliant, I don't know if anyone remembers and recalls um, way back then, but in Victoria Square, we had yeah. the big handover dance, which was all sort of shot in one camera shot, and that was just wicked. And I, I was there that Sunday, Sunday morning, I think it was, because yeah. obviously it was nighttime in Australia. And again, it felt just so unreal that we were going to get the Commonwealth Games, but I still remember think, saying to everyone, yeah. that's sanity! I was well, in it was that lady sta- yeah. then, wasn't it? It was I was in that stadium, yeah. terrified though, oh, man. Really cool. I was before the actual ceremony. The funniest thing, because we couldn't get into the stadium to rehearse, because obviously the games were happening. We just had to rehearse in like a massive church car park up until the actual day. So the day that I got into the stadium, I was like, 
oh, <laughs> this is what we have to do. And I was terrified. Like, I remember all the lights going down before the performance. And I was just like, oh, am I going to pass out? But luckily, made it through. I remember looking at my laces like 17 times, checking that they're tired. Because I was like, I have to run through these people. And if I drop, God forbid, I'm going to be a meme for life. So, uh, so yeah, shoes were tired, took two deep breaths, and then, yeah, it was, it was good. And broadcasted billions of people across oh, the world. It was fantastic. I just told myself my mum was watching to try and, like, calm the nerves. <laughs> I didn't want to hear no numbers about a billion, like... <laughs> fair play, fair play. So is that your biggest achievement? Defo up there, 100%. I, I defo say it. I think just the chance of representing Brum to, like you said, over a billion people as a madness getting to travel doing something that I loved as well I think that really did just open up the door and like in terms of self-confidence and believing in myself it gave me the fuel to like be like let me try and do this full-time let me be self-employed so you know got back I was like oh sorry Ikea I'm gonna miss the meatballs and cinnamon buns but I'll be back soon and yeah just that that summer yeah quit my job and and went full-time and I've been full-time in music since so yeah it's a really really pivotal time and of course we've just come on um, well the, the sporting bit of um b2022 has finished but our festival continues thankfully keeping the joy and the vibe and the brunting yes. and the midlands child yes. that insanity um going for the next um few weeks and and, and beyond because you yes. know we've got such a rich musical heritage what have you been doing over the commonwealth games here in birmingham and, and what what you're working on now uh, so with with the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, I got the pleasure of being a baton bearer. Firstly, which is incredible. I, I walked from Centenary Square to Victoria Square and handed over to Lenny Henry, which is dope. We uh we spent a moment rapping to each other and dancing to the camera. Oh no, he was just on a good vibe and it like was, I passed him the thing and he was just like, "Yo, sanity." I was like, "Is he trying to battle me for all these people?" <laughs> So I was like, Lenny, chill. Like, no, nah, I didn't really say that. <laughs> I was like, you, you don't tell Lenny yeah, to chill. Yeah, yeah. You don't. You don't. You just I go was with just it. Like, he just started rapping. I was like, well, now I have to rap. Like, I can't be the rapper and have Lenny Henry like rap at me and not, not try and rap back. So I don't know what I said. I don't know if anybody's got a clip. But yeah, we started rapping to each other and dancing. I don't know what was said, but yeah, it was good. And then um, after that, I got to host as well, co-host um, the Stein show that they had in Victoria Square. The turnout was crazy as well. The energy was great. And yeah, and then I got to perform Midlands Child. So it was it was nice. But I've done a couple of things around the festivals and it's great to see um, the integration because I think a lot of people's biggest worries that these games would come and then it would kind of just, you know, the buzz would disappear. But I've always said, like, when it comes, I hope people remember it and... You know, it sparks sparks like a buzz in the communities as well. Everybody knows City Centre's cool, but like Jez was saying earlier, like the Edge Bastons and, you know, the Small Heaves and the Erdingtons and like it's those areas that we all reside in that, you know, the spirit is really in. So it was nice to see things happen around and, you know, get to see the, the buzz around the city, but outside as well. We were in Victoria Square that evening and it was electric. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was crazy. And then that craziness just grew and grew and grew. And I think much like what you said about the 2018 gig in, in Oz for you was the moment where it really grew your confidence. I actually think the Commonwealth Games for Birmingham, it's the same. Yeah. Our confidence has come. It's always been there, but we yeah. just don't shout about it. But we have and we've shown the world that we can do it. Yeah, this is the thing. And even, yo, even just, I completely forgot, of course, I've done a gig here with the BBC Symphony Orchestra as oh, a part yeah, of the festival as well, which was crazy. 
so mad. I, I think it was the so much that's been happening. I kind of zoned out. A um, gentleman here showed me a picture of me at the front of the Symphony Hall magazine, just me kind of doing a little bop with the orchestra behind me, which was great. Um, and it's crazy because I remember, like you said, when we first met and we'd done the talk on, you know, integration of like orchestral music and the youth and does it really reach certain communities? That was my first interview with you. And then to think like how many years later... I'm actually now at Symphony Hall all the time. Like, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are sick of me being here that week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sanity's back again. Like, what's going on? My face is flashing up on that as well. Like, the amount of people that have been walking past Symphony Hall and like, I spotted you on the video. So it's just, it's mad. But that's wicked. That's wicked because that's what it's about, isn't it? And especially like this music space, it's about democratizing um, music. And for so long, I think, you know, people think of the Symphony Hall and let's be honest, they think posh people, they think classical music, mm-hmm. but actually it's a music hall for absolutely everyone. Exactly. And music is for everyone. Exactly. And I, I've got to applaud Symphony Hall as well for their support, like over the years, because literally from that moment i've done so much here and they've run programs from they've done like a, a women in music's program and I, I joined in on that um about musical production and stuff i've done gigs with like jazz musicians that i've met throughout the years um people like camilla george i'm a performed right here and then yeah of course with the, with the symphony orchestra a whole orchestra is mad it's just something i think as a rapper from birmingham just trying to like you know make music from her bedroom to then performing with like an orchestra is crazy. I think it's absolutely brilliant. So who who influenced you back then? Rather unusually, actually, a lot of the artists have said they that there was music around them all the time and their families were a little bit musical and, you know, church plays a big role in um, black communities and so yeah. church music had as well, but not, not for you as much. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. It's a bit of a weird one. I'm a bit strange, isn't it? I just started hearing music and making it like... <laughs> I think I pushed my grandpa played the harmonica and that was it but I think like I said just hearing music all the time probably had like a bit of a subconscious push on me like I enjoy this it's something I love it makes me feel comfortable even if I'm away from my family I still you know I have that connect um so I think probably previously I was hearing a lot more American music I grew up on you know like your Nazis and your Missy Elliott's and Dr. Dre's and people like that but I think nowadays, the beautiful thing is a lot of my influences are right here in the UK. And I think that's such a great thing, how like UK music has adapted and grown. And I've been able to venture out and like see the different genres of music. Being a rapper again, I think it's so important to look into different genres and find inspiration so you keep your sound fresh. Because like you can hear a sound and just try and jump on a wave. But me being open to even just being in Symphony Hall and seeing the artists that perform here, being able to collaborate on music with them, it's just been super inspirational. So yeah, in the UK, you know, people like Retch Free 2, Dave more recently. Um, even like people like Stormzy, like just for energy and stage present. Of course, Lady Leisha as well, who's been an absolute gem in like supporting me too. Daps, who was here as well. Like there are so many people, JK, that are just smashing it for Birmingham music and, and They are smashing rap, it. For and sure. The thing is, you're amongst the ones that are smashing JK, you know when he popped up on the closing ceremony, he was another one I screamed at as well. <laughs> I feel like a right old woman. I meet these guys, I've met all these guys in their sort of infancy years. No, we love it, we love it. It, it, it keeps us, it keeps us, yeah. So describe anytime. your music, because you, you refer to yourself as a rapper, but it's more than rap, your yeah. sound. Well, I hope it is. That's what I tried to make it. And I think this is the great thing about my music as well. A lot of my shows, I have people of all different races, ages, come over to me and like, you know, say that they enjoyed it, even if it's not their thing. I think the love and the understanding of live music and like instrumentation has helped with that so like I said even just like in indie music and rock music and grown to like that um 
getting into jazz music as I've got older as well and collaborating and doing some tours with some heavyweight jazz musicians um, as I've got older has definitely helped. So yeah, I think it's just that integration of sound and like the appreciation and respect for other genres because even if you do one genre, you shouldn't just pigeonhole yourself into one genre. So I've always seen myself like I'm a rapper, but I'm more than a rapper. I'm a musician in my own right. Like my, my tool is words, but like the words integrate with the sound as a whole. I like that. My tool is words. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so that means you, your ears are probably always switched on then, aren't they? I hope so. <laughs> As in, like, Birmingham itself, you know, the, the influences around Birmingham musically, they are so vast and so varied. We talked about all the different areas. That you, yeah. you can pretty much pick your neighbourhoods and there'll be a sort of a dominant sound in a neighbourhood. Is it just yeah. about merging? I mean, when you're going around visiting your mates, visiting family, are you always sort of listening out for the next? Yeah, and I think, you know what, social media as a whole, you know, is great at that. There are star people as well in the city that are doing great things, such as Jez, like just keeping connections going. Yeah, please give a round of applause for Jez because, come on, like we wouldn't be here today. We love you, Jez. Um, (laughs) But yeah, people like himself, um, Alex Carr as well is a noticeable person who um, continuously just plug like music that's from here. And, you know, I think as well, coming up, a lot of musicians felt that sometimes Birmingham could be a bit clicky and you'd hear one person getting championed at a time type thing. But I think over the years, we've understood, like, there can be more than one person doing great things here. And it's not a battle either to, like, oh, this person's doing well. Like, I don't want to see them do well. I think it's we've got to a point now where we understand how great we can all be. So it's like, I hear what you're doing and it's great. Like, I'm going to come and support you and... and see what you're doing but also come and listen to me and I think when I say integration it's that integration of sound respect and yeah even genres like you were saying as well it's a great time to be an artist from Brum. So how would you like to influence the music scene in your mind you know when you're setting out because mm-hmm. I, I, I can think of 101 words to describe you but what about you mm-hmm. what's your intent? I literally say it in Mid- Midlands Child, like, literally, if I spark hope in one person, like, that's my job done. And I think it took me a while to understand that. I think in an industry where it's so number-driven at the moment as well, a lot of artists can feel lost and, like, hopeless. It's like, oh, I've only got this many streams or I've only got this many shows. Or, I'm, uh, I'm not making as much music as this person or money as this person. For an for a industry that is so number-driven at the moment, I think sometimes we have to just take a step back and think, if I'm doing something that I love and enjoy, I can make a decent living off of it and I can spark hope into other people and other people can relate to it, then I think you're already doing the right thing. Do you know what I mean? So if anything, anything comes out of my music, I just hope it inspires other people, whether that's to do music, whether it's to, I don't know, open a kebab shop. Like if it inspires you to do something, then like I'm, I'm on the right track. Do you always enjoy it or is there ever a time where you kind of go... Just enough it's always it. a love and hate with everything you're doing it like after a while you're like oh, i gotta do this again like <laughs> it's always a love and hate i think with everything you do um yeah there are times i get frustrated even like you're asking me what like i'm up to um i've kind of been a bit low-key just working on new music i've rebranded i've dropped the lady oh, yeah, um, why have you dropped the lady i was gonna yeah, ask so um i dropped the lady just to go into that just because i've been doing music for a while and to me it felt very like grime-esque there's always a lady or a little song or MC something. And like, because I've refined my sound a bit more, I said I work with more live instrumentation. I just wanted to strip it back and make it a bit more fresh for the new music that's to come. 
But sanity, you like sanity actually came from. Yeah, so it was a Dizzy Rascal song. I was like quite young S or something when I was like 15. I was like, I'm not going to be young forever. And I like music. <laughs> so I need to think bigger. Um, and then, yeah, I heard Dizzy Rascal Bonkers. And he was like, oh, let Sanity give me the slip. And I was like, oh, okay, Sanity can run like. I like what it stands for as well to always kind of be like the voice of reason and, you know, to expand the sound and, yeah, thought process and all of that. So how do you feel that you've changed then from that 15-year-old and particularly in the last few years now that you're really sort of out there? It's crazy to think because I'm always thinking ahead. I think a lot of people just always think ahead and what's next and I've got a lot of, like, great new music coming. So I'd like to think that 15-year-old Sanity or Sherelle, which is my real name, will be um, proud of what I'm doing because, like I said, I was a shy, unconfident girl when it came to music. I remember used to perform and look at the floor and not really try and, like, make any eye contact with people. So now to, like, say I'm performing and, and doing something I'm passionate about, yeah. yeah. And to be doing this doing you know, right? in front of a live audience as well, <laughs> you're, you're bearing your soul. How, how has your life benefited, apart from the obvious, I'm guessing that is, you know, making a living, yeah. but um, paying the bills. You know, <laughs> not sure if mum charges or not, but um, she's <laughs> kind of smiling. Um, but yeah, how has life been? How has music benefited your life? It's been great. Um, and I think the best thing about music, again, you always have to take a step back and think, yeah, it's my career now, but it's, again, it's something that I love and I'm passionate about. So there will be some songs that I've written, obviously, to get music out there. But there's a lot of music as well that I've written just for myself. Like, and I don't even know if it will be released, but it's because I felt a certain way and I needed to express it. And I think that's something that, that a lot of creatives need to like understand as well and internalise. Like, thinking this day of social media and everything as well, there's such pressure to be like, oh, I do art, so I need to post a picture a day. Or I do music, so I need to release a song every two months or a month. But sometimes you have to take a step back and, you know, and be like, you know what, today I'm going to paint, but I'm going to paint for me. I'm going to make a song. I'm going to make a song for me because we're human. Like we need these releases. It's not all about, you know, likes on socials and trying to pitch it and, and get places with creative platforms. It's, a, it's that release. It's going to be like one of those stories in many millions of years time that a, a box in an attic is found and you have a back catalogue of, of Terrible music, songs. Yeah? No, just not me terrible. and an acoustic guitar just like trying to hit notes. That, that, that's kind of cool knowing that you've got some secret stash. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And I, and I, I respect that. I get it. You have talked so passionately about music and your connections to Birmingham. How do you feel about Birmingham? As a city or like creative or take that question as you want it as a city as a creative like I said it's a great place to be it's a great time to be a brummy as well I think you know with the games and everything that's happened along this year and just seeing you know redevelopments of certain places it's a good time and even things like seeing that the BBC are relocating here there's so many like things to look forward to in Birmingham at the moment it's great and it's great to see people realizing like you can be creative and great no matter where you live. Like, everything's been London-centric for so long. It's like, you don't have to live in London to make something of yourself now. Like, as long as you've got social media and, you know, a, a place to rest your head at night, like, and a dream as well, because it has to start somewhere. But as long as you've got them things, like, you can be a success no matter where you're based. You don't have to live in London and pay, like, an arm and a leg to drink water and breathe air <laughs> as it costs in London, but... Yeah, it's, it's great time to be a Brummy. I think it's great that we have you as our Brummy and our Midlands child. And I just wish you 
all the best, and I really hope I pop up again on another milestone moment in the future to have another chat (laughs) with you. You you know, genuinely, I follow you on social media, follow you around the city, I know what you're doing, and it is just great that we've got people like you repping our fantastic city and our fantastic music scene. Ladies and gentlemen, sanity! Thank you. Thank you. On Record, In Conversation is produced by Siobhan Stevenson for the Birmingham Music Archive and presented by Birmingham 2022 Festival with the generous support of Arts Council England and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Mm-hmm.